we'll be booking back in the book of Acts next week. This is a message that I had actually marked in 2018 as one. I'll mark certain messages that I'll say every three to five years. I'll, I'll need to get the truth of that again. This is one of those. And anyhow, Matthew chapter 14. Read a couple of verses here, starting in verse number 22. The Bible says that straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. When the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. This is why it all happened. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. It's the first time they confessed that. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, help me to stay true to it today. Lord, I pray that this would be a help, that it would strengthen your people, Lord, that it would draw them closer to you, that it would help with needs and battles in their life. And Lord, please do the work that your word can do. I pray that it would have free course in hearts. I pray for your mercy, your grace, your help in this, Lord. And I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who has truly never been converted, Lord, I pray for that. I pray for their salvation. Lord, I pray that your spirit be able to convict strongly on their heart and draw them unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that even today they have repent and place their faith in Christ. May you be glorified. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Prior to this in Matthew chapter 14, the disciples had just witnessed another incredible miracle, a miracle of creation. It was the feeding of the thousands, you know, where Christ takes the five loaves and two fishes and feeds thousands of people. Just an incredible miracle. This, in Matthew 14, is at the height of the popularity of Christ. And that's important for the things that take place right here. There's already been an element for about six months of the religious leadership turning against Christ because his popularity has just skyrocketed. And we, we don't see it in this gospel, but in the other gospels we get more information about what takes place after the feeding of the thousands. 
And the people wanted to set him up as king. They were ready. Remember, that's how they saw this happening. They saw at this time that when the Messiah would come, how they read the Old Testament, would be when the Messiah arrived, he would establish a kingdom. They didn't see the cross. It was there, but it certainly wasn't as clear as many as the prophecies about the arrival of the Messiah and a kingdom, which is still going to take place. But this was the time of Christ coming as a lamb and not as a lion. At this time as well, when this takes place, John the Baptist has just been executed. All right? So you have the disciples trying to understand their frame of mind. I believe it was actually a little bit of a, a challenging time for them. They too believe Christ is going to establish a kingdom. John the Baptist has just been executed. No doubt wondering, why didn't Christ save him? Why is he not establishing his kingdom? And then here, after this miracle, the crowd's ready. This is him. And Christ walks away from it. The disciples are, isn't it time? And our text said Christ had to constrain them. Get in the boat. Get in it. So he constrains them to get into the boat. They obey. They head out. Christ, he heads apart to pray alone. His example of prayer is, is, is always incredible to us. The importance of needed prayer time in our life. I do believe he was praying for his disciples because they're still not understanding all that has to take place. You know, one thing that always comforts me with God and something that we, we looking at each other, we, it's not even close to possible for us to fathom the life experiences of another person and how they understand things. We can't do that. But God does it perfectly. It's why he shows such grace at different times to people. He understands how they view the moment they're in based on what they've experienced so far in life. So he understands right now exactly where the disciples are. He knows they think a kingdom should be here and it's not happening. He knows their doubts and their questions. And he's praying for them. Again, think how discouraging it was. Remember how these got started. Remember the man they heard preaching first. It wasn't Jesus Christ for the bulk of them, not all of them. It was John the Baptist. He's dead. The man had his head removed for preaching truth. And in their eyes, they're wondering, what, what's going on? This isn't how we thought this would work. And I think at the feeding of the thousands, I think they were thrilled. And here's the crowd saying, here it is. Let's make him king. He says, that ain't happening. And they're like, what? So I think they're discouraged. Here's Christ praying for them. The Lord knew exactly what he's doing when he told them, get in the boat. Get out of here. They follow his instructions. They're traveling to the other side. They'd be going from east to west. They're in the will of God. 
Yet in the middle of God's will, Christ is the one who directed them there, a great storm rises, hindering them from what, what the instructions that God gave them. Many times we're in the will of God and a great storm comes in our life. Wearsby put it like this. I, I like his wording. And he describes how God puts us through two different types of storms in life. He said there are storms of correction and there are storms of perfection. Jonah would be in a storm of correction. The disciples are in a storm of perfection, one to help them mature in their faith. The Bible says the winds are so fierce, the storm is so strong that the disciples are afraid for their life. Now, what's interesting here, the Bible, it gives us so much details that sometimes we can miss. Based on the word that is used for ship here, we basically know the size of the boat that they're in. They would be, they would be in a boat that's somewhere between 25 and 30 foot in length. Matthew says they're in the midst of the sea, which means they've traveled about four miles. They're about four miles into this thing. And we know about the time frame. It's that fourth watch of the night. This is between 3 and 6 a.m. So think how fierce the storm is. They're making no progress. This should not have taken this long. It's only eight miles total. So they're in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. Even though the storm has risen, they're still trying to follow the Lord's direction. I do like that about him. The Lord, while he's on the other side and praying, he knows exactly what they're going through. Think about this. He knows the emotion of every single man on the boat. Listen, do you know the same is true for you with the Lord? He knows exactly what you're facing. He knows exactly what you're going through. The Lord then once again shows his incredible power. And he walks on the water to get the disciples. And no, he wasn't running fast so the water didn't swallow him up. Ridiculous. He walked. Then he stood there having a conversation. He walks on the water. Amazing. The disciples were afraid because in their mind, think about this, in their mind when that storm is hitting, Christ is on the other side. Right now, in their thoughts, there is no way they believe at this moment there's any way Christ can get to them. Do you understand that? In their current understanding of God, there's no way Christ can get to them. They would be wrong. It looks as if there's really no possibility of help. But boy, as the Bible says, he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. So here it is. It's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Jesus comes on them, walking on the water. They get even more afraid. The Bible says they think it's a spirit. Now the word is interesting because it means apparition. Ghost. They think it's a demon. Christ sees how fearful they are, and he calls out to them. He says, no, it, it, it's, uh, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Peter, then, hears the voice of the Lord. 
And he calls out, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto you on the water. Incredible. Peter wanted to be where Christ was, even if it meant getting out of the boat. The Lord says, by the way, I think the Lord was thrilled when Peter asked that. I do. Hebrews 11, 6, I believe, proves that. I think he was thrilled. He responds, come. And that nut job Peter gets out of that boat. No, that was a man of faith. He got out of the boat. Now, when he got out of the boat, I'm going to cover this in a little bit. It didn't exactly go as he expected. I'll cover later what I think Peter assumed would happen. Peter gets out of the boat, and Peter walks on water. Amazing. Incredible. But when he saw the wind, boisterous, beginning to sink, crying, Lord, save me. Immediately, the Lord grabs him. Right there. The Lord then gives him a fairly sharp rebuke. They get into the boat, and when they get into the boat, the storm is gone. And then, as I mentioned as we read it, one of the primary reasons this event happened takes place. They're all in awe. It's the Lord. He just walked four miles on the water. Peter just got out of the boat and they watched him walk on the water. Then the moment they get in the boat, the storm is gone. And what takes place is the first time we see it in Scripture. They worshipped him, calling him the Son of God. Incredible. It's in the storms of life that we can experience Christ, where we come to those places where we just have to worship and know He is the Son of God. We can know it to be true mentally, intellectually, but boy, when you do see Him work in incredible ways on such a personal level, it's entirely different. I'm going to focus on Peter here for a bit for this message. Of course, many times we tend to be critical of Peter, his rashness. And I I recently preached a message on Peter and his life when the Lord called him. We have to remember the incredible way in which the Lord used this man, Peter. Besides the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the only other man to walk on water. Through his example in our text, we have a great lesson for our life. A lesson that can truly help us. A lesson in how we handle different emotions we're experiencing at the same time, whether it's faith and fear. Whether it's risk versus failure. how we grow in faith, how we trust in the Lord. 
you understand when God is in something, and it calls for a measure of faith, which will always put us in situations which require faith, risk will always be present. That's why faith is needed. Fear of failure leads to very little growth in your Christian life. Very little. It leads to a nominal Christian life. You see, I think for a lot of us, the Lord calls us to get out of the boat. But in the boat, we find security. In the boat, there's no risk of failure. It's comfortable. It's easy. But there's no growth. To come to a place where we're willing to leave the comfort, leave our security, and trust in the Lord and follow Him. Far too many, really throughout all of church history, there's certainly been exceptions, many exceptions really, but far too many are just willing and comfortable to stay in the boat. They're either afraid to live life or they're failing to live life for something that matters for eternity. One of our problems is, of course, the culture that we live in teaches us, basically, we live in a culture that, for the bulk of it, teaches us to stay in the boat. Teaches us to live for comfort, to stay where it's safe. Again, I, I think I read this somewhere. Remember, we buy lazy boys and not risky boys. <laughs> we like to veg out couch potato. It's easy. We are geared to stay in the boat. And really, it doesn't actually need to be taught in your culture. I think it's a part of our nature. The truth is, though, if you're going to make a difference, if you're going to go that step closer to the Lord, of that awe, you need to get out of the boat. Peter, as we know, this man that got out of the boat, and it's from reading what we have. He was the one who got out of the boat, and of that group of men, none of them made more of an impact than him. He made a difference. But what got him to that place where he was willing to get out of that boat? That's what I want to look at. This is... This is one of the, my favorite quotes in history. It fits for this message. And it's by Theodore Roosevelt. I want you to listen to it. Theodore Roosevelt said this. He said, it's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points at how, how the strong man stumbles or the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs 
and comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming. But who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself for a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. You know, when it comes to faith and risk, when it comes to getting out of the boat, the truth is, when you're, when you're going to step into something under the Lord's direction and His calling, there's, like Peter, there's a good possibility you're going to fail. That's part of it. When you're trying to even learn something new, guess what? You're going to fail. You learn through the failure. And Let, let me get into the message. Number one, those who get out of the boat recognize God's presence. You can think of what's going on this night. The major storm is hitting. It's, it's impeding their progress. They're actually afraid for their life. It's that strong. The wind, the waves are hitting. And here they see someone walking on the water. It's, it's a spirit. Oh my goodness. What's, and they're even more afraid. There's a lesson just in that. I think it's important. Sometimes it takes the eyes of faith when you're in the midst of that storm to even recognize where God is. Even when He's there, you fail to see Him. Where Christ had to cry out, it's, it's me! In other words, we can be going through great trials in our life and sometimes in those trials we have, seen where, we have trouble seeing where God is. He's there. Peter... Believing it's Christ, he calls out. He asks something amazing. Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee. That was the first thing that was clear in Peter's mind. What he knew was this. If God is in this, I can get out of this boat. If God is in this, I can get out of this boat. So that's where a certainty has to rise. This is where the, the foundation of faith when you recognize God in it. Yes, God is in this. That even, even though the storm is here, the sea is raging, I can get out of this boat. When God had called to New Guinea, the reason why I delayed and delayed and delayed, I just had to know that it was of God. Or I'm not getting out of that boat. It uses the phrase that is interesting used in Scripture, to pass by. We see it used in a couple other occasions. It's interesting. With Moses and with Elijah. With Moses and Elijah. In each case, each person was afraid. And God called or was calling them to do something great. So Peter had recognized, number one, God's presence. Number two. This is important as well. There are, there are those who sometimes by personality trait, they need to recognize that. I have nobody in mind, by the way. I, don't think, I, I, I never use this as a whipping post or anything else like that. But there are those by personality trait who act more on impulse than they do on faith. You have to discern between faith and foolishness. 
Peter, when he saw Christ, did not just jump out of the boat. He waited for the command to come. Don't jump out of the boat with God's command. (laughs) There's a discernment that takes place between faith and foolishness. It's not a difficult one, although sometimes people can view it as one, but it really is not. Faith is when you're following God, obeying His commands because you trust Him. It's not when you're following your own heart and your own desire. It's when, Lord, I'll tell you over and over in account, you just have to get to the place where you know, Lord, my life is all about you. Not self. That's the key in the Christian life. Lord, it's all about you. That's when the Lord's direction, the discernment. It becomes so clear. There are times your foolishness can hurt you because you don't wait for the command of the Lord. There's examples of that in Scripture. How about the children of Israel when they tried to enter the promised land when they did not have the Lord's leading? How'd that go? Numbers chapter 14, you can read about that. They acted presumptuously, it says, or foolishly. And of course they failed. It was a disaster. It's always foolish to act without the command of God. Not every open door is of the Lord. But when he does open the door, it's time to get out of the boat. And there are times, many times when you do that, that others will think it's foolish, and yet you know you have the Lord's command. That was true. For those, for those who were present here, I think if, if Pastor Roach was in the service, I could ask him if he was sitting right there, he'd say yes. That when I surrendered to go to PNG, I have no crossing his mind. Oh, boy. Yeah, Greg's known because he was of the same. That guy got that wrong. That's not him. That's not him. There are others who will think your decision is foolishness. What do you think those other 11 felt about Peter? Peter, going to do what? That dummy. Others will think it's foolishness. But I knew. I was at a place when I surrendered to it. I knew this is of the Lord. This wasn't some, some just trumped up desire of mine. This doesn't want a result of reading some books and getting a romantic notion about a mission field. There's a discernment that becomes necessary between faith and foolishness. The difference is simply recognizing God's in it. Number three, you take the step. Peter got out of the boat. Peter did not do this out of rashness or a desire to prove he was better. I'm going to show them who the spiritual one is. That wasn't in Peter's heart at all. He simply wanted to be where Christ was. Peter exercised truly great faith here. The guy gets out of the boat and he walks on water. And again, as I mentioned, I believe the Lord was very pleased with this based on Hebrews eleven six. I mean, I mean, just there, there's Christ. The storm is raging. They're having a conversation with him. I don't picture him too far away from the boat at all as he's coming to pass by and they can see him. I mean, it's dark out. It's probably like 4 a.m. right now. And, and even with the wind, they're having a conversation. They can hear each other. 
And here the Lord hears Peter saying, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee out of the water. I, I think he just smiled. Faith. He trusts me. He gets it. Come. Peter left the security of the boat. Why? Think about this. This is the key when you're following God. This is the key where you have to check ambition. Peter got out of the boat. What's his reasoning? To get closer to the Lord. That's why he got out of the boat. Number four, when you get out of the boat, expect problems when to arise. Here's what I think Peter thought would take place when he got out of the boat. He believed it was the Lord. I mean, he, he's seen the Lord walk on water. He's put together the miracles. I mean, the, all they've witnessed now for two years with who this man is, it's incredible. Peter says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come on the water. Do you know what I believe Peter thought? That when he got out of the water... The Lord would stop the storm. It would end. It didn't happen. He got out of the boat, waiting for that storm to stop, and he's like, uh-oh. And he saw the wind boisterous. And we know it, and it is a perfect illustration of Scripture. It fits. He took his eyes off God, he put him on his circumstances, and he fell. Listen, when you do get out of the boat, problems are still going to come. They are. Expect it. It's not going to be just an easy path. That's not how that works. You expect problems to arise. I mean, we arrived in New Guinea, and it wasn't clear sailing all of a sudden. Got, you know, trial after trial, and they seem to magnify and get greater. As you try and draw closer to the Lord, I got news for you that wind is going to rear its ugly head. It wants your focus off of Him. Many people will never leave the boat. In their life, simply because they're afraid of opposition, what could come? You'll never accomplish anything. If you fear opposition, you'll never do much in this world for the cause of Christ. There's going to be opposition. I mean, there's times the Lord will remind you of that. There's been plenty of times here. There's been, been, when opposition hits, when I've been here, whether it was New Guinea or, or here, there's times opposition hits, I'm like, I am done. I'm done. Then you remember, it's part of it. I've got two more here I'm going to give. This one's an important one. I'll spend just a a couple minutes longer on this one. Those who do walk on water and get out of the boat, they know how to fail. I, I say it different times, I bring it up often, because 
I believe what, what, what the difference between a person in their Christian life, almost in life in general, who succeeds and the ones who do not. I don't believe the difference is personality. I don't believe the difference is dreams. Well, the bigger dream and the bigger vision. I don't think none of that's it. I don't. I think there's one major difference. One group knows how to fail and the other group does not. We see that here with Peter. When Peter failed, when he began to sink, he cries out to the Lord. Lord, save me. Even though Peter failed publicly before all all those who knew him best, you know what? The guy still knew what it was like to walk on water. I mean, you can just you can just picture this scene there. They're on the boat. They're all scared. The storm's hitting. The Lord's there. The Lord says, "It's I. Be not afraid." And, and there's probably a, a measure of peace with that. I mean, he's here, even though the storm's not calm yet. No doubt, a measure of peace hits him. I mean, it's kind of like if you're in a storm and and at a much greater degree because you have the Lord that's right there, and all of a sudden you see a, a coast guard boat coming up to you. So Christ is there. And then they're all there, so they're like, maybe they're high-fiving. Yes, it's the Lord. And then Peter says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come on the water. What? They're all just stepping back from him. That's you, Peter. You got this. I wonder what they're saying to each other. Oh, Peter. What are you doing? And then they hear the Lord say, come. Whoop. Now, based on human sinful nature, based on different things that we're made up of from our pride and our ego, I wonder when he fell and he had to cry out, Lord, save me, how many of the 11 said, hmm, I knew it. I knew it. You want to know why I believe they actually had a sense of joy when Peter failed? Because they didn't get out of the boat. They didn't get out of the boat. The only one of the twelve that knew what it was like to walk on water, though, was Peter. You know, the, the story of the very first time I ever preached. At that moment, I handled failure wrong. And it could have made a huge difference in my life completely had I not turned that around. I don't know why, but again, when you go to something new, I got news for you, more than likely you're going to fail. You are. That's why, that's why for your first, like when you're trying to get your private pilot's license, that's why the first many, many flights, the instructor's right there. Because apart from that, you're likely to fail. It's not until he's seen all the errors you're making, what you're doing, corrections. I think you're ready for a solo flight. <clears throat> Pastor asked me to preach. Sure, I was, whatever, 16 years old. And I'm not kidding. It was a complete disaster. There's never been a worse sermon preached. I don't think it's possible. I spoke way too fast. Supposed to preach 20, 30 minutes, whatever it was. Had it all written down. Yellow legal pad. Job chapter 1. 
I was done in three minutes. That's not an exact, that's all, that's it. I read that fast. I was done. And then, like a dummy, I froze. And I'm humiliated. My family's there. People came to hear me. Terry's preaching. Let's go to church. I froze. I could feel, it was the first time in my life I ever felt it, the redness ascending. I'm not kidding. I could feel it rising. I'm like, oh. And sweat then coming down after that. And I just... So imagine how awkward it is in the auditorium. Nobody's saying a word. I'm locked onto the pulpit. I'm not going to look up. Sweat's pouring down. I am beat red. I have nothing else to say. The pastor got up and literally... <clears throat> sat me down, and then he preached. And I sat there saying, I will never, never do that again. I thought because it was such a miserable failure, God could not possibly be in it. No, that's not how that works. I learned how not to preach that day. I knew that's not how you do it. The truth is, failure leads to growth. Do you understand that? For me to step back into the pulpit about a year later, there was a much more measure of faith on my part to do that. There was a measure of growth that needed to take place because of failure. Too often what happens is people allow the failure to control and not learn from. When the pastor came back to me a year later, I think you should preach again. I could have said, huh, that's not happening. Mm -mm. No, I've tried that and I failed. See, there's two responses to failure. It can either paralyze you or it can motivate you. That choice is yours. Again, I believe it's one of the key factors that determines the success of life and growth is how you handle your failure. More to, it has more to do with your IQ, your personality, or anything else. It's how you handle failure. The parable of the, of the talents that Christ gave us and, and the strong condemnation of the one who never allowed it to reach any potential. Just buried it. You can see how strong the Lord comes at that. Listen, when you allow failure to control you, you are taking what God has given you and you are just burying it. But Lord, I might have lost it. Well, try. Learn from the failure. We all have a choice to make when we fail. You can either let it completely defeat you or choose to learn from it. We all, I've given the different examples out and I have several listed here of all those who have failed over and over and over. Jonah saw 200 unsuccessful tries to come up with a vaccine for polio. 200 times he failed. Those who, you know, attempting over and over and over and over and, and, and trying to succeed at what they believe they need to do. And yet, just using those times of failure to learn from it. 
failure will come. It will. Learn from it. Peter did fail. But though he failed, he walked on water. He also knew what it was like in the failure to have the Lord reach down and grab him and pull him right up. Those who stayed in the boat, they never experienced that. Lastly, to walk on water, to get out of that boat, you have to accept fear. Fear is brought up a couple of times in our text. Peter had to deal with fear with all that was taking place. Fear is one of the biggest emotions that will keep you from getting out of the boat. Fear, God doesn't take that away. Poop, it doesn't take it away. I learned that. Like I said, I, one of the best illustrations I have of that in my own life was learning that before we left for New Guinea. That truly was when I learned boldness is not the absence of fear. It's obeying regardless. Well, you know God's in it. The fear is not going to disappear. Before, again, the days leading up and the night before, the morning of leaving for PNG, the fear was genuine. It was real. Wondering, what am I doing? But I had the assurance that God is in this. There's a choice to make. Either allow the fear to control or the boldness. The boldness is not absence of fear. You think somebody who's bold doesn't have any fear. That's not how that works. If the person doesn't have an element of fear, there's probably something wrong in his head. Fear is one of the biggest things that prevents you from getting out of your boat. And God will use these real world challenges. God can take different storms and trials and he can still use them, whether they're even storms of correction or perfection. It doesn't matter what it is you're facing. God has the ability and his sovereignty to use it in a way that will affect your growth positively. He can use those challenges to develop our faith. Fear will be a part of that. Don't allow that fear to keep you from living your life. Don't allow fear of failure to do that. You draw close unto the Lord. Lord, my life is yours. Use me. As you, as you see him beginning to direct, I think the Lord's in this. And you see his leading with it? Maybe it's teaching that class. You know what's going to happen when you first teach that class? You're going to fail. You're going to come and say, I believe the Lord's in this. You're going to teach a, you know, seven, eight-year-olds, four and five-year-olds. You're going to get in there. And I guarantee, because you have no experience yet, there's growth the Lord has to do in your life. You're going to attempt it, and it's not going to go well. I remember the first time. How many remember Chris Miletich? I remember thinking when we were in, in Bible college here in the 90s, um, the first time I heard him preach, it was in Bible college class, and we were doing uh, probably a homiletics course. I don't know which one it was. So, so we all had to develop a sermon and preach. We'd video it, and then we'd critique each other. It's actually a very effective way to do it. And I did that back in New Mexico with Pastor Bird. He would do that. He would, he would, we'd had a Saturday morning time. He would film. We would watch it, and then he'd critique it. And Chris, <laughs> Chris, first time, I was like, oh, my goodness. So... I guess he couldn't stand to look at people. If you all remember this, it also was true the first couple times he preached in church. 
He would look up from his text, and when he looked up, his eyes were completely shut. It was the oddest thing to watch a guy preaching with his eyes completely shut. And I'm thinking, God is not in this. (laughs) But he didn't let that stop him. And he had to look at himself. Oh, wow. (laughs) He learned from it. He learned from it. Listen, Peter's the man who got out of the boat. Don't settle for just a nominal Christian life. Desire for God's glory to be used through you, not yours. And when you do that, oh, there's going to be times you're going to hear the Lord's voice say, Come. (laughs) And when you know it's Him, you get out of the boat. You get out of the boat. With heads bowed and eyes closed.